We're going to be in John chapter 18. And it was, uh, thanks for taking us through that, Kevin. Um, you know, the reality of persecution uh, is something that we have a very difficult time to comprehend, um, uh, myself included. I'm not, uh, you know, it's all of us in this area. Although we were talking about this on our Wednesday night Bible study uh, persecution, and we were talking about all those that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And, uh, you know, one of the person mentioned that, you know, we look at this to say, well, you know, we, these brothers and sisters over there, they're getting persecuted and, and rightly so. But I don't want you to discount what happens in our own lives um, in persecution, whether it be it's all different levels, whether it be being mocked at, at work or amongst your friends for not partaking in certain things or whatever. I think um, <clears throat> uh, I think Ray had mentioned that uh, on Wednesday. And so these are the things that we have to consider, but we also have to be ready as well for greater persecution. So while we pray for the persecuted church, let's contemplate those things this, this month with really hopefully all the time that we do that. Um, maybe some things that you could do or you can pick a day or pick a meal or pick a few hours to fast um, where the Lord ask the Lord to really set it on your heart. For these people that are suffering uh, death and and shame and all these other different uh, things that the persecuted church endures on a daily basis that we really don't even hear about. We hear about the big stuff. So let's remember them all this every day. Let's remember them every day, our brothers and sisters in Christ um, that are suffering for the name of Jesus. But let's particularly remember it this month. So with that said, we are in John chapter 18. And we are going to be in the, uh, in the scene of one of the <clears throat> worst persecutions ever to take place in history, and that is of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are right in the middle of his uh, trial. <clears throat> it's been a night that Jesus had to sleep, probably in some sort of jail or some sort of whoever knows, uh, maybe the temple jail or maybe it was he, he's been up all night. But verse 27, when Peter denied Jesus, <clears throat> that was the day that he had gotten arrested. So now this, it's the next morning, the day that he is actually going to be crucified in verse 28. So I'm going to read uh, from verse 28 to verse 33. It says in verse 28, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, who was the high priest that was, that was um, interrogating him, into the praetorium, <clears throat> and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. And so the praetorium was, so it was, it was built for uh, the Jewish kings and the Jewish princes. Um, and so when Rome came in, they would send in their uh, uh, procreator, and, then, and, and they would say, uh, give us that house, and that's where our um, governor or whoever high official is going to stay. So this was actually a Jewish building that the Romans would uh, occupy while they were in town. <clears throat> so the Jews couldn't go in there because then they would be defiled. They can't go into the house of the Gentile, even though it was built for the Jewish people. Now let's go to verse 29. Therefore, Pilate, this is Pontius Pilate, who was the governor um, of, of this province of Rome, <clears throat> he went out to the Jews, to them, and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Verse 30, they answered and said to him, <clears throat> now if this man weren't an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. <clears throat> so Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him according to your own law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. We remember John three fourteen, the son of man, like the serpent in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up the certain, uh, serpent in the wilderness. So the son of man also must be lifted up that whoever looks upon him will be healed. Okay, so that was from the Old Testament when, when Moses lifted up the serpent and when the people were biting, or the serpents were biting his legs, God said, all right, 
Just look at the bronze serpent and you'll be healed. And they did, and they were healed from their bites. So Jesus is using that as a picture of him being lifted up. And we also know that in John 8, he said, I will draw all men to me when I am lifted up. So our last verse is the one that we are really going to focus on today. And that, therefore, Pilate, and again, this, when you, we're not going to go all through this chapter, but Pilate is like busy going in and then out and then in and then out. Now, Jesus is inside the praetorium. That shows you what kind of uh, treatment he was getting. They didn't even consider him to be a Jew. I'm going to stick you in the defiled house of the Gentiles. It's utter shame under the law. <clears throat> so verse 33, therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium And he summoned Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? That's the the anchor text that we're going to be in tonight. Now, any story, any good story can be summed up like this. Who is fighting who over what? Who's fighting who over what? Any movie? Who's fighting who over what? Any book? Who's fighting who over what? That tells you what the story is about. Now, this can be asked of pretty much any story that happens in the world and from all of time, because that's how humanity takes, that's how humanity works. That's how life happens for people. We have a goal, we go after it, we have obstacles. People try to prevent us from reaching that goal. Things try to prevent us from reaching that goal. And we have to overcome and reach our objective. In a story, that's called a protagonist. what What the story is about is one thing, but really who is the story about? And from what perspective is it being told? That's the protagonist. Now, the antagonist... Most of you think of an antagonist as an enemy, the bad guy in the movie, right? Yes, in the traditional Hollywood films, we see the bad guy with the, you know, the evil intentions rubbing his hand together. You know, I'm going to get that good guy, right? But really, an antagonist isn't necessarily an enemy, although he very much could be. An antagonist is somebody who's trying to achieve the very same goal that the protagonist is trying to achieve but with different motives. So we're both going after the same thing, which causes conflict. I'm trying to do it for this motive. You're trying to do it for that motive. And the story, how the person tells the story will determine who the protagonist is. You could tell the story from a bad guy's point of view, and he would be the protagonist. And the good guy may be trying to stop him, and he may be the antagonist. That's called an anti-hero story. That's like very, very popular today in the movies and, and, and everything. Now the bad guys are, you know, the ones who are really the good guys, you know, and we should be rooting for them because of whatever past that they had or so forth and so on. The overarching story of the Bible has a protagonist and an antagonist. Okay, I want you to look at it from that perspective because I want to bring you to a place that you can understand fully what what, what I believe John is trying to tell us in this text. The overarching story, two different people, protagonist, and it was all staged in the book of Genesis as God as the protagonist. God had a goal. I'm going to create the world. I'm going to make it perfect. I'm going to create mankind for him to go out and glorify me glorify me and reflect my image out into the world. That was God's purpose. And have communion with the people that he has created. The antagonist also appears in the book of Genesis. This is chapter three. Who's the antagonist we see? The serpent, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, the accuser. He has the very same goal as God. Now, Satan was pulled down for trying to exalt himself higher than God. He wanted the glory, but he was cast down. So what did he do? He still pursued that glory. If I can't get it from God, I'll get it from those that are made in his image. 
And that's what he tries to do. He goes and he persuades and he deceives the man and the woman to eat of the fruit. And they completely now, that image, that, that reflective mirror that's shining God's glory out is cracked. Can't shine out anymore. Now the whole world falls under the dominion of the evil one. Man sins, he disobeys, he becomes separated. And the battle begins. The battle begins. Through the entire narrative of scripture, we see this being played out. This battle, I don't care what book you go to. I don't care where you start or where you go to. You see a constant battle between the people of God and the people of Satan. Even though they're not going, yeah, how can we serve Satan today? They don't necessarily maybe even know. They're pagans. They're worshiping in wacky ways. You know, if you look through some of the things they did in the Old Testament, this is why God went against them. Because he, these were people were trying to achieve that same goal. From putting the people uh, into bondage, into Egypt, to inciting the nations to impose uh, their will on the people of God, to the tent of Jael. Does anybody remember that story? The tent of Jael, as she, what does she do? She crushes the head of the general of the Canaanite army. And there's so many stories about this battle taking place. It's a story of conflict between God, the protagonist, and Satan, the antagonist, from the very book. Even though it may not say that, in the, and here's how, that, here's how the rest of the fight went. No, but we know that this is from other scriptures, and we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? The battle is against the spiritual powers, the principalities, the forces of darkness that are behind the world system. That's what the battle's about. Versus the people of God that are God is behind them with the Holy Spirit. So we have this battle taking place. Now, nowhere I believe in Scripture, by the way, this is one of my favorite parts of the whole Gospel of John. This conversation between Pilate and Jesus. And it's 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 my favorite for a lot of reasons, but most importantly. Nowhere in Scripture do we see this picture of protagonist and antagonist come face to face like we do here. We have Jesus, the image of God. Perfect representation of God. God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. And he is standing face to face with the image, that perfect picture of the world system at the time. Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, representing who? The emperor, the ruler of the known world. The ruler of the known world at the time, of Rome. Now Rome, they ruled all the way from from the furthest, northest point of of, uh, Britain, all the way down to the south, most south point of Egypt, and that whole entire area. If you have time, go and look. Look up Roman provinces during the time of Christ. They had the whole entire known world under their thumb completely. And Pilate and the people like him that ran these, pe- that ran these provinces were vicious people. They were very um, well-trained. They were military people but they no doubt they represented the king. So we have the two forces face to face in this scripture. So who's fighting who over what comes to a point right here. The rightful king, Jesus, versus the existing king of the world. Now we know who wins. We know who wins. I don't have to go into that. I want to stay right in this script, this passage here today. But why does John show us this royal confrontation in such a way that he does? You know, nowhere do we see it in the other Gospels like we see it here. Most of the other Gospels try to emphasize different things about Pilate. Maybe, you know, Pilate was a confused guy in a lot of the Gospels. You know, he was like, what do I do? Is 
You know, he's getting bounced back and forth. We're going to talk about why. But here, John doesn't talk a lot about that. John brings attention to the confrontation and the conversation more than anyone else. In the conversation, or I should say, the accusation against Jesus is, are you truly the king of the Jews? So in order to answer the question of what the king of the Jews is, we have to look at this accusation and why it was so um, important to this conversation. And that's what I sort of want to unpack. And then I want to see how this applies to us as we stand face to face with Christ as well. So what is king of the Jews mean? That's the first thing I want to talk about. First of all, I should say, number one, first point, who was the king of the Jews? Why was this so pertinent to the Jewish people and why was this so uh, challenging or, ch- or I should say um, scary for a, 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 in a sense to the Roman government? First of all, the king of the Jews to Israel was a lot different than he was to Pilate. <clears throat> first of all, he would be the promised Messiah. The king of the Jews would be the promised Messiah. They were the one and same to a Jewish person during the time of Christ. So if somebody said the king is here, that meant that, oh, wow, this is the Messiah. If somebody said this is the Messiah is here, they went, oh, this is the one that's going to liberate Israel. This is the king. So Messiah, every time you see that in the scripture, I want you to remember what it means. And it does mean king, but more importantly, it means the anointed one, the anointed one. And we see that a lot. You are the anointed one. You're the one that's going to get us out of this mess. You know, you're the anointed one. You're going to do this or do that. Or in the mythical films we see, we always have to always have an anointed child that's growing up and fathering, uh, following his father. And he's raised by a mentor and he's sent out and he's the anointed one that's going to liberate the whole entire nation. Messiah means anointed king. And that's who Jesus was. Now, what would this promised Messiah do? What would he look like? Well, he would rule on the throne of David. That would be the key to know that this is truly the Messiah. Now, Herod, because you think about, well, what about all these other kings? They didn't even bat an eyelash at Herod. Herod was an Edomite. He was somebody that was the son of Someone who converted to, to Judaism. So I think it was his mother who was a true Jewish person, but I believe his father was part Edomite, which everyone was like, that's not going to be the Messiah. Herod was called a client king of Rome. Rome would come into an area and they would overtake the area and then they would find out who the people are. And that's who Josephus was, by the way. He, was, he, he, he converted over to, uh, to the Romans, and he, they, they said, here, write all the history and everything. And so he was allowed to do that. That's a good example of somebody staying a Jew, but sort of allegiant to Rome. And that's who Herod was. It was his father and, and his sons. And it, it was, it's one of the most crazy soap operas of a story. If you ever want to read, read about something like that, read about King Herod and his family and his dynasty. <clears throat> so we knew it wasn't Herod. It says here in 2 Samuel, we first hear about this king in 2 Samuel 7, 16, talking to David. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Forever means forever. Okay, got to remember that. Forever means forever. So that means that this is a really big statement by God to promise this. If I tell one of my kids, you are never going to have to worry about money forever and ever and ever, you know, not only will that be a lie, but that would also be a promise that they would never, ever have to worry about it, right? Ever, ever, ever until they completely are taken out, taken off the earth. And I can go on and on with these scriptures, but I just picked two. Jeremiah 33, 17, for thus says the Lord, David, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. 
Jeremiah 23, 5, Jeremiah 39, Zechariah 6, 12, and 13, and on and on and on. So he would be from the lineage of David. He would have to be, when you trace back the Messiah's bloodline, he would have to come. Mom would have to be related to David. Dad would have to be fully related to David. Now, he, and that was Jesus. If you look about, if you look at the genealogies in um, Matthew and in Luke, they both trace each parent. Third, the king of the Jews would be, now the Jewish people did not see this. They did not see this. But he would be the son of God. He would be God. And they don't see this. They still don't acknowledge this to this day. We pray that their eyes would be open, but God has even said that he has hardened them and he's blinded their eyes so they can't see just yet. He will come back for those, those Jewish people that are part of the seed of Abraham who believe by faith. He will bring them back in. But still, now they're blinded to this very verse. Here it is, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which Kevin read. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Not Mighty Lowercase G God, Mighty Uppercase G God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Here we see a picture of, the, of that hypostatic, I'm sorry, of the oneness between Jesus and the Father. The eternal father, prince of peace. He would be born a virgin, but not just anywhere, be born from a virgin, but not just anywhere, from Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah. And we see this in Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth for me to be a, from me, to be a ruler in Israel, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity, prophecy about Jesus being born of a virgin in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah. The chances of all this happening in one person are probably off the charts. I know that they're off the charts, but here you go. I've said all that to say this, the Messiah, the anointed King, the son of God, the one from the line of David, he would rule the entire world. He would rule the entire world. He would have authority over all the rulers of the world. And by the way, one of the last things Jesus said was, all authority has been given unto me. And then he gave the great commission. Amazing. Psalm 2, this is one of, of many. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. <clears throat> Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he will not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. So he would be the king not only of Israel, but of the entire world. And this goes right along with what God planned all along in the Old Testament for his people Israel <clears throat> to be the light of the world. His people Israel to be the people that look at them and go, now they are the people of God. And that's the God of the world. That's the God that made heavens and the earth. That's what Israel was meant to do from the very beginning. And that's Jesus as the embodiment of Israel. He is Israel in the flesh, but the faithful Israel in the flesh. And he is to rule over all other rulers. So this is a very, to me, a very um, interesting thing that the people that are waiting for all of these things to come around are the ones that just brought Jesus to <clears throat> Pilate and said, this man is saying that he is the king of the Jews. We'll take him and judge him to you according to your own law. <clears throat> well, we would, 
We would take up stones and stone him to death because that's what he deserves, but we're not allowed to do that. You see, Rome, knowing that the, the Israelites would literally die before they bowed down to Caesar, it was a nil point. The Jewish people would never worship another king. They would never bow down. They would never pay homage to him. They would never do anything like that because their law wouldn't allow it. So part of the whole deal when they came into Judah, they were one, it was one of the most difficult provinces for Rome to manage because of this. So that's why they put Pilate, one of their tough guys there, along with a whole uh, 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 portion of their army above Jerusalem to be able to storm in during the festivals when the zealots came up and they started problems and riots and all these things. So <clears throat> how, in my opinion, <clears throat> it's almost impossible when you have these people, they, they, they bring Jesus there and say, he is our king. Uh, we want to stone him, but we can't. So that was the one thing that Rome said. You can do everything else you want. You can worship your God in the temple. You can do all that, but you can't kill anybody. That's the only part of your law you can't do. If you have somebody to kill, come to, you need to go to the ruler at that time and you need. Now, Pilate wasn't in Jerusalem all the time. He would come in, he would stay up in Caesarea and he would come in for the festivals because he wanted to flex his muscles because that's when all the problems would come. So if this wasn't the festival and they wanted to kill someone, they would have to go up to Pilate wherever he was and request a hearing. Um, but they went to Pilate at, you know, early in the morning. This isn't a normal thing for him. Judge him according to your law. You're not doing things the, you know, the, the, the proper way. What's going on? Now, don't, don't be fooled. Pilate, uh, according to Josephus, used to put spies out into Jerusalem, into the crowd. So he knew what was going on. <clears throat> he knew that there was a guy out there at telling everybody the kingdom of God is here. As soon as you say kingdom of God is here, that means the king that's here now in place, he's the wrong guy. We don't want him there. So that would have gotten around. Just like if you were to start spreading rumors about harming a, a, a somebody out on the street, harming an official or a president or anything, you would have a knock on your door pretty soon. The word would get out. Okay, It's not, not going to slip Pilate's ears. But in fact, <clears throat> what ended up happening was Pilate bringing Jesus um, in, in into, the, uh, into the praetorium Pilate started to look at this and say, this doesn't, he's not acting like a king, a coming king would act. I mean, I don't really understand what's going on here. Is he crazy? You know, what's, what, what, what's happening? So that's where I believe he was bitty bopping back and forth. Because if he really felt that Jesus was a threat, he probably would have had him taken out much sooner. So how can someone not believe in Jesus how can someone not believe that Jesus is the king of the Jews when this was how you were raised? This was everything that you learned growing up. This is what your parents were talking about, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. And now he's right in front of you, and now you do not believe. Does that sound familiar? How long did it take you to come to belief in Christ? How many times did Something be, it was Christ presented to you in one way or the other, and you just shake your head and be like, so stupid. I remember, I grew up in Trenton, and I remember driving every single day by the sign, and this was back in the, gosh, it was when I was like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, 2010, something like that. Jesus saves. And I used to look at that every day and go, that's, I don't, I just don't get it. Like saves from what? And that's just stupid. I can save myself. And I just remember that. And then growing up, people presenting God to me, showing me evidence. And then even seeing the beauty of the world, creation testifying to a designer and a creator. You know, we don't ever question anything else. If I told you that this telephone right here just sort of, you know, it just came from nothing, you would laugh at me. You'd probably talk to my wife and say, Pat's losing it. But yet we can look at the world and go, yeah, everything came from nothing. It, this, this isn't God. This is all an accident. That's sort of equivalent to what these guys were happening. It was happening to these guys. Jesus told them outright that he must die at the hand of the Gentiles. But they didn't listen to Jesus. 
Why did it happen? Well, it says here in Romans 10, 16, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? They did not all heed the good news. The good news is Jesus is the gospel. But the word heed here is very unique. And I want want you guys to think about this for a second. Heed refers to ignoring the knock on the door or the incoming telephone call. You know, that forward button. You're ignoring it over and over and over. The Jewish people had had this happen to them throughout their whole history. They had hardened hearts. John 12, 37. You think to yourself, well, I don't know, talk to people all the time. Well, I would believe if I saw something. Could you show me something about, you know, have God here appear to me right now? Or, you know, elevate the pulpit, Pat, and I'll believe. You won't. You will not believe. John 12, 37, but though he had performed so many signs before them, they were not believing in him. Signs, miracles, dead being raised, lepers being cleansed, being the actual Old Testament in the flesh. The word, nope, I'm not going to believe it. So what happened to them? God gave them over to that hardened heart. God gave them over. It says it in Romans 1, 28, uh, 29. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Now, although that's a little bit out of context um, because of what's going on in Romans 1, it does show the character of God because he does tell us to not harden our hearts. It's a warning because God's character, although he is gracious and he is loving, the warning is for our hearts not to be hardened. What does that mean? Hardened is like a callus, right, on your thumb. If you work out, you get calluses. If you do barbell curls, you get calluses. Why? To stop the pain from feeling, from penetrating your hand, the nerves in your hand. You get calloused. Don't be pulling your calluses off because then you're going to get hurt, right? Leave them on there. But if you have a callus on your heart from the gospel, pull it off. You start to see it hardening, pull it off. You're not promised tomorrow to believe in Jesus Christ. And, the, and, and these people right here brought him, they were hardened, and what did they end up doing? They turned him over to Pilate to be crucified. Now, who was the king of the Jews to Pontius Pilate? Now, again, Roman, the Roman uh, government ruled the known world. Each one had a procreate or, or a, a procreator, and that was Pilate or governor. He was over the province of Judah, as I said. He was hated by the Jews. And this, we don't hear a lot about this in the Bible. We do hear some of this commentary from Josephus as well about Pontius Pilate, who's mentioned very t- a, t- a couple times, although we do have a glimpse of it in the scripture. You see, Pilate represented Rome, and he was only there, um, I actually skipped over that note, but uh, I believe he was there up until AD 37, and he had just come in. So he's only there about seven, eight years. He ended up getting kicked out and demoted because of the violence that he used to put out to the Jewish people. He ruled harshly. There's a couple incidents. There was one aqueduct incident where he built an aqueduct outside uh, of the temple, and the Jews got upset about that. He's not allowed to do anything with our temple. So what did they do? They surrounded his house. That was a bad move. Pilate called in the boys. They got clubs. And they ended up killing many Jews and injuring many others. The Jews remembered that. Another time when Pilate first took over as the governor, he said, I'm going to make sure that these people know who I am and they know that I'm not afraid of them and they know that I, you know, I have to respect their law. I saw a few of them you know, in Rome and they were despised in Rome and now I have to manage a whole country of them. Ugh. So he takes his whole army and he puts... And on the shield of the army, they had this signet of Tiberius, 
who was the, who was the emperor at the time. And his image was on there and on over the image, as we know on the coins, it says son of God. And so they were absolutely out of their mind. And again, they started to do, started rioting. And, and the story goes is that Pilate's spies within the crowd started taking people out. We do remember the story when Jesus said, talk to us about those Galileans that were killed and their blood. They were killed by Pilate and their blood was mixed with the sacrifices on the altar. He also killed a so-called Messiah four years after Jesus's death. It was a Samaritan guy that raised up and he said, I'm a Messiah and Pilate whacked him as well. And again, after that, he was relieved from his duty. Why? Because the Jewish people were known as zealots for their God. And every single time that Pilate would do something like this, Rome was like, you're supposed to keep peace and now you're stirring up you know, not a little hornet's nest, but the Jews, they're, they're a big hornet's nest. And they're, you know, they're going to cause major problems. And we don't want to have to go tell Caesar that we had to wipe out, you know, all these Jewish people. And now we're going to be going at war with the Jews. And that's what actually happened in AD 70. It escalated, escalated, escalated. And the Jews started to resist. And they brought in the armies and they destroyed Jerusalem. So, so this was a very difficult situation for Pilate. Very, very difficult. The Jews had to manipulate, if not even blackmail him to get their way. They wanted Jesus dead, but they couldn't do it themselves. So he, Jesus put Pilate in this political and military rock and a heart, between a rock and a hard place, that he could crucify Jesus and start a wide-scale bloodbath riot because he knows all these people were following him. They were just laying down their, their robes saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord a couple of days ago. He thinks he's the king of the Jews. He's flipping the temples. He's got a whole bunch of followers. What am I going to do? Cause a riot that way? Or he could let Jesus go and potentially have the same problem with the rulers. But more importantly, in verse 12, it says, the Jews said, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And now that was cryptic for saying, okay, don't kill Jesus and we're going to tell Caesar. And you're going to get fired or even killed. Because there's a guy in Jerusalem, Pilate, that's saying he's the king of the Jews and you didn't take him out. So he was in this crazy military political pickle, I guess you could say. <clears throat> so he had to satisfy the Jews. But Pilate not only satisfied the Jews, he also wanted to establish Rome's authority over the Jewish, Jewish rulers. How did he do that? He incited the crowd. So should I release Barabbas? And I know we're not there yet, but I'm jumping ahead. Or the king of the Jews. And he looks at the rulers of the Jews when he says that. Because Pilate went along with him. Okay, you want me to tell, you want to, okay. I'm going to use this for my advantage now. You want, to, you, you want the king of the Jews here? And everyone's going, no, no, no. And now Pilate's like, yes, we're going to take him out and establish this rule. And that's why he put it on, on Jesus's cross. This is the king of the Jews. No, say he said he was the king of the Jews. No, what I've written, I've written. He is the king of the Jews and he's dead. So that's what happens when kings rise up against Rome. So he used it to his advantage. <clears throat> you see, Pilate was a guy that, and we're going to talk next week or the week after about truth. He was a guy that struggled with truth. He didn't know what it was. He was looking at him, but he didn't know what it was. And pilot was a, is something that I can relate with because I used to try to be a pilot. I would be walking in the praetorium and talk to Jesus and say, oh, wow, this guy is really cool. And I'd walk out and talk to the Jews and go, no, I need to kill him. And then I'd go back in and I'd say, Jesus. And guess what? That's called neutrality. Being in the middle, in the gray area. And you can't be that way with Jesus. You're either Jesus's disciple or you are not. You're not becoming Jesus's disciple 
God opens your eyes, you become born from above, and you follow him. Now, you're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect ever. You may not follow him today like you will in five years, but you will be following him or you will be rejecting him. Pilate was trying to fit into that gray area, and Jesus says, no, you're either for me or you're against me. So with all that said, with that groundwork laid, my question to you, the glaring question, I guess you could say, an intention of John putting Jesus and Pilate face to face, the ruler of the world, standing uh, in front of the ruler of the world, capital R versus lowercase r. <clears throat> Jesus was accused of being the king of the Jews. So my question is what? What do you say to that? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus the king of the Jews? Each of us must stand face to face with Jesus and answer this question. You see, the, the whole thing of Jesus being our personal king kind of flies in, it goes away here. He's the king of the Jews. He is the king that is sitting on David's throne. He is the ruler of the world. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He is over all other kings. No one even comes close to him. Is that the way you see him? Because doctrine dictates behavior. You see, you'll act a lot different if you think that way than if you just feel that Jesus is your personal king. And I often joke about it and say, okay, you know, Paul Terugian is my personal president. Do you care? No, you don't care. Because you know that's impossible, right? And you don't, even if he is my personal president, so what? Pat has a personal president. But if I took Paul down to the White House and I start saying, and I tried to get into that White House and sit in that Oval Office and place him in there, we would both be probably committed, right? Arrested. But I'm serious. So I go back. I am convinced. And I get him seated there or whoever. You see, that's a little bit different, right? So saying Jesus is your personal king, fine. But is he the king of kings overall? Because if he is, this world is his. And you'll treat it differently. If he is king, you'll not only treat the world differently, you'll treat the people that are in the world differently. You see, Jesus put a stake in the ground, said, mine, my world. Like we did on the moon, you know, although we didn't take ownership of that yet. But we, Jesus put ownership here. This is his world. This is, he is the ruler over all. So therefore, now we must see him and act that way. And there's where everything else falls into place. See, a king, what does a king do? A king rescues. A king protects. A king possesses. A king owns. See, that's a different mentality than just Jesus being in my heart. Oh, he has to be in your heart. But do you see him over all creation as king? Do you see him just as savior? A lot of people do that. Jesus is my savior. And that's great. He's the only savior. But to say that Jesus is my get out of hell free card and that's it is like saying, well, I want to go enjoy the beauty of Spring Lake and I, or, or, or Belmar or Asbury Park or whatever beautiful beach that we have. Imagine driving all the way to the beach and, and just looking at the sand and going, wow, this is just amazing. Sand everywhere. Beaches are really cool. And I go, look up and see the ocean. You go, well, I'm just, no, this is my personal little beach here. I'm just happy with this. No, it would be a worthless trip to go all the way to the beach that you've never seen ever and just look at the sand and not look and see the wide expanse of that ocean and the waves crashing in and the horizon and the clouds and the boats. And it, you, you see it from a totally different picture. That's the difference of Jesus being king over the world and being your personal king in your heart only. You see, the Jews and Pilate got it wrong because Jesus didn't fit the bill as king. Their version of king. 
He, he threatened their domain and he threatened their present idea of a king. Does he do the same to you? You see, we don't want a king in our flesh. We want to rule over our life. We want others to rule the world. We want to, we're okay with that. Although maybe we, you know, we cry a little bit and we whine a little bit about those rulers, but really it's about us. No one's ruling over me. But you see, Jesus says, that's what you have to do in order to be my disciple is you have to let me rule over you as king. You have to see me as the right type of king. In Luke 19, we, we, we see a very famous passage about uh, the business owner or the, um, or, or the master who, who gives, who leaves a, um, some direction to his slaves, his servants, however you want to call it. And he says, here, take these different things and go and make use of them. One gets 10, one gets five, one gets one. And they said in uh, verse 14, the citizens hated him. They set a delegation and said, we do not want this man to reign over us. And then after that, the master comes back and he rebukes these people, especially the one who only took the one minya or talent and buried it in the ground because he knew that the master was a hard man. He was harsh. He didn't want to lose it and risk, you know. And so the other ones invested and made back and well done and all that other stuff. And so this master, what he says to the people that did not want to do as he told him to do, he says in verse uh, 26, I tell you that everyone who has more shall be given but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And I know many of you are going, well, where is he going with this? Because wasn't that about being like a faithful steward? Like what's that have to do with Jesus reigning as king? <clears throat> it is have, does have a lot of application of that. We could teach a sermon on that and, and rightly so. But if you look at the context of that verse, <clears throat> it says that while they... We're listening to these things. Jesus went to tell a parable because he was near. This is right before he tells it because he was near Jerusalem. And they suppose that this is the verse right before it. They suppose that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So the true context of that is a misinterpretation of the people have a misinterpretation of what the kingship of Jesus really means. And so it's not that they, the guy didn't invest the money and didn't do anything. He saw that master wrongly. He saw him in an incorrect way, in an incorrect interpretation. Now, the hardest thing to, to, to do is to end this chapter, to end that chapter because or, or at that passage, because Jesus says in verse 27, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them Bring them here and slay them in my presence. So that's a scary threat. But this is coming from a man who also says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is yoking up and sort of mending yourself to Christ and it's light and easy. But you can't fool yourself if, if, if you're looking at Jesus and he's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's the Jesus of that the, the Jews saw or the Jesus that Pilate saw. <clears throat> now the king of the Jews also does, we're running a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit late, so I'm going to stop here. But the king of the Jews, Jesus, does kingdom of God a lot differently than the kings of the world do as well. Kingdom of God. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But I wanted to lay this foundation because unless we first understand who the king is, what the king of the Jews means, we can then go into one of the most 
misunderstood concepts, I think, in the New Testament and in the Old, the kingdom of God, and we can totally uh, be off track. So I wanted to lay that down. And that will be our subject for next week. So if I can just stop teaching for a second and encourage you that come to Christ. We See, we don't come to Christ necessarily as all of these doctrinal things. Well, I'm going to come to Christ as theologically as my king, and then I'm going to... Do, no, see, what, that, what, how, Christ, how Christ does this is he speaks directly personally. See, as, as wide as he is over all the creation and over all the world, as intimate, that's as intimate as he is for each one of us. He wants you to know him. He wants to come into your heart. Yes, he does. He wants to do that. And when he wants to do something, guess what? He does it. So is he penetrating your heart right now? Well, it may be a part of the process. It may be just the first or the second or the third time. Yes, Jesus, yes, he's been talking to me over here and he's been saying it through this person. He's working through this one. I hear the word of God. It's everywhere. It may not be the first time and he may be working in you and he may have grabbed you and he's sanctifying you, whatever. That's great. But it also could be the last time. I don't know. I don't like to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ through fear. But we have the king of the Jews in this passage about to go to the cross. He's about to, the king, how ironic is that? Is about to be crucified. The king's throne is a wooden cross. The king's crown is not a golden crown. It's a thorny crown. And he did it in your place because there's nothing you can do to satisfy God's justice. Nothing. Outside of believing in Jesus Christ, we are absolutely hopeless as it relates to getting forgiveness. And we will have to pay every single aspect of every single sin. But because Jesus rose from the dead, because he died and he rose from the dead, you know what that means? Freedom. You know what freedom means? Forgiveness. You know what forgiveness means? There's nothing, absolutely nothing that can condemn you before the Lord. As a matter of fact, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But you must believe. So if he's calling out to you right now, he's going to win. We know who wins. I'm telling you who wins this fight here, antagonist and protagonist. And if it's you against Jesus, you're going to lose. If he wants you, he'll get you. Stop resisting and come to him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and who you are, Lord, to us, to each of us. And um, Lord, you're so faithful to, comp- to uh, continually call out to us when we're wayward, when we're off, you're just there to guide us back. When, um, <clears throat> when we don't deserve things, Lord, you give us. When we When we do deserve things, Lord, you use it to teach us, and we just love you more and more every day. I pray that your spirit would go forth here, and that um, if there's anyone here, Lord, that um, wants to come because of the call, Lord, that 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 you would draw them, Lord, and change them and transform them and make them a new creation in Christ and save them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I'd like to ask our worship team to come up. And we are going to have one last worship song. As we're singing this song, cry out to the Lord. If you need someone to talk to, you can always come up. I'm always sitting here. I'll pray with you. We'll talk. But don't leave here today without knowing where you stand with the king of the universe.